0: I asked him to come up with, what's what's one thing that's going to tell you you're ready for the games? And he said, mm-hmm. a sub-19 nine, sub minute 5K. I was like, that's terrific. What's so amazing is, once that went out there as a point of focus, every single one of his runs got worse. Hmm. Because every single run, what used to be just this thing to go out and try to work on getting better, became like, A pass-fail. Like, am I going to be able to get this thing or not?
1: We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run. Always chasing. Never stopping. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. How are you, Ben?
0: Good. How are you doing, Patrick?
1: I'm doing. I'm doing it. You know, I'm doing okay. <laughs> I'm doing okay. <laughs> uh, given everything going on in the world, neither I'm the optimist right. nor the pessimist. Yeah, i aiming aiming for I'm realist here. here.
0: I am an extreme realist.
1: Yeah, that's what we're aiming for. Um, today we are returning to our three by three Our three by three is when I, um, give you three topics or three ideas and you give us your three hot takes on each one of those ideas. And so we've got a kind of a, a, th- a, th- a theme in this one. We're going to go with not obvious or counterintuitive things. Okay. So I'll give you the, I'll give you the three that we're going to look at three, not obvious or counterintuitive things to do before opening a gym. Three not obvious or counterintuitive strategies to lead more effectively. And the last one is going to be three not obvious or counterintuitive ways to become growth minded. Cool. Fun. Yes. Let's go with the first one first. Let's go with three not obvious or counterintuitive things to do before you open a gym.
0: Okay. So I think this one's going to be the easiest of the three simply because. Um, it's lessons learned the hard way from when Mm. I opened my gym and things that, (laughs) um, possibly I, I wish that I had either done or I've seen other people make the mistake of doing, um, ranging from the big to the small. So my first one would be the mistake that I made, which is, um, when you find the location that you want to be in, make sure you go to the town hall and Mm. check out zoning regulations. I had to go through a lot of extra red tape meetings. Um, and the opening of my gym got delayed in a big way because my gym, the building I was moving into in the area I was moving into was not zoned for quote, indoor recreation use, which Mm. is what a, a gym falls under. That was shocking to me because we're surrounded by literally four different athletic training centers. Yeah, We have a frozen ropes, which is batting cages. We have a globo gym. Literally, I could throw a rock to each of these things. <laughs> we have uh, batting cages. We have a globo gym. We have squash courts. And we have indoor volleyball. Mm-hmm. All within a stone's throw. Yet, would I? so I just assumed, like, yeah, we're going to open a gym. It's no problem. Um, that wasn't the case. So I had to go through a uh, zoning board of appeals. Um, it becomes a very long process. You have to get um, a Butters approvals. Ah, uh, you have to. hire hired a lawyer. Um, a lot of things that I I probably would not have done had I had the place um, had the areas moving to been zoned properly. So, yeah. um, that'd be the first one. Um, yeah, the,
1: the non sexy part there is making sure the no, zoning it's, is right. It's
0: so, on. yeah, it's the stuff that again, not so obvious. The things yeah. that like that it just was so it never even crossed my. Mind. And the scary part was for me was I had signed the lease before. I, this was, um, kind of brought to my attention. Mm-hmm. So if the, if the town goes, sorry, you can't move in there. Like I'm on the hook for a, a four year lease. And I just did first, last and security. Jeez. It was the most money I had ever paid for anything in my life.
1: Yeah.
0: And I mean, it would have been a really, really tough situation. Um, had we not gotten the the special permit, yep. um, mm-hmm. which has terms to it. And you have to go back and renew. So that was Mm -hmm. the first one. Um, Second one is a little more straightforward and luckily um, did not, um, was not something that I came across, but it wasn't because I did my due diligence. It was just dumb luck. Mm. Um, But I've seen it in other people's gyms, which is really causes a massive amount of headaches. And that is to make sure that before you open your gym in the facility you're moving into, make sure that the floors are flat. Huh. So- If the floors are not flat, whether they seep down to a drain or it's an old building or whatever, in our sport, um, in the way we train with rolling barbells, it is just such a pain in the butt. When Mm -hmm. every single time, it literally is like every single second you're in the gym doing a workout, you have to be managing something you're not supposed to be managing, which is trying to corral a barbell that's trying to like skirt away from you. Yeah, Massive pain in the butt. Yep. Um, something I did do, which maybe you could put in the same thing, is kind of like do your due diligence of like actually doing a workout in a class in the space. What I did do was a noise test. I realized mm. that we were going to be really loud. We were dropping barbells. So um, made sure that when we went into the space, cranked music up as loud as I possibly could, brought three barbells with um, with weights and um, with a couple of my – it was actually my dad and a uh, friend, and we just started dropping barbells and had the, um, the, a butter, like the, the neighbor be like, yep, we can hear that. That's a pain in the butt. Like, we're not, we're not gonna like this. Mm-hmm. Like you figure out beforehand if you're gonna have problems with your neighbors. So yeah. I'll call those the two in the same, same yep. bucket. So
1: yep.
0: zoning and, um, flat floor noise due diligence. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, and the third one is I think most people kind of do this. And I actually think it's why most people are so excited to open up a CrossFit gym. Besides just the, be able to change lives, change the world, be able to follow a passion, um, is it looks like an incredibly profitable business. Like mm-hmm. when you do the business model on back, back, the back of the napkin, which is what everyone does in the beginning. It's probably what every single member in every gym has ever done is, okay, if we get 100 members – 100 members paying 2000 bucks a month that's 20 grand a month our rent is 4 grand that leaves 16 grand we'll pay our coaches 8 grand that leaves 8 grand a month in profit like that's pretty solid now i haven't taken a paycheck yet so you got to pay yourself for being the um working in the business so let's say you take half of that, you take four grand, you're gonna make 50, 48 grand a year. That looks pretty damn good. Like you're gonna have four grand a month dropped to the bottom line while paying yourself um, a, a, a $50,000 a year salary. What most people don't realize is the unforeseen expenses that come along with that. Mm-hmm. And it's not the back of the napkin um, things that Um, this business, there's a lot more hidden or unforeseen costs that maybe aren't as obvious as other ones. Um, there's some, some really obvious ones like you haven't paid, um, taxes for your employees yet. So um, you haven't paid taxes on the business yet. So right away, right away, knock off 35 to 40%. So pull 30, 45% off the top. And then what really is the hidden expenses that add up to a lot more than people realize, they might account for, okay, we'll have a certain amount of um, fixed and variable costs. So fixed costs are things like electricity, like water, like um, paying for uh, a music subscription. Mm -hmm. But then there's all these other ones, like these variable costs, like how much toilet paper are we gonna need? The water expense if you're gonna have showers. and it's certainly something I did not realize is how many unforeseen expenses there are in this business, um, to the tune of, let's say you want to have, which most people want to be able to do. Let's say you want to have, which most people do not account for when they're doing their initial cash flow projections, PL, um, budgeting pro forma, or whatever you want to call it. Most people don't put in things like I, uh, we want to have a holiday party. Mm-hmm. We well, don't charge your members to come to your holiday party yet. Your holiday party might cost you 2,500 bucks. Mm-hmm. Those things pop up more frequently than you think. What also pops up is, even though we have a policy that we don't do discounts for members, everyone pays the same amount, we do, do have a, uh, we, do, we do do. We do have <laughs> a discounted membership for first responders, yep. for married couples. And it's amazing. you think that like, okay, maybe 20 percent of our members will be on that. It's amazing how many people are actually on that. Mm. And then we don't do anything for friends and family yet somehow we have so many people on friends and family because you allow your coaches and coaches, significant others to join the gym. And what ends up happening is you have to knock off, call it 40% off the top in revenue from taxes. I would double expected costs. It's kind of like when you're building a house, like it always costs um, twice as much and three times as long. I would double (laughs) expenses and then on addition, on top of cutting revenue, um, in by 40% because of taxes, I would cut it another 40% due to unforeseen discounts. Hmm. That is actually what you're working with. It's not the numbers that you did on the back of the napkin. Yep. It's a lot tougher of a business than we think because you haven't put in things like insurance, insurance Mm -hmm. is a variable cost based off how many members you have, it goes up and it's a big number. And these things, um, so you also have like, well, we're gonna sell t-shirts. Yes. But then you have to eat inventory and you have to do design and you have to do shipping or whatever it might be. The, the biggest thing here is like, I say, you know, if you could, if you could figure out zoning, if you could figure out the due diligence in the space and you could do a really, really like worst case scenario, Pro forma, then I think that you might be kind of looking into. You're at least covering some of the bases that most people do not cover when they go into this thing.
1: Mm. How much do you think if you had done, you know, obviously if you had known what you know now back at the the start of CFNA, and you did, uh, like you like you said, like the most conservative budgeting, you know, uh, possible. Do you think you still would have had the enthusiasm and gone forward with getting it open, or or is part of, is part of the process of getting it open. Was part of that the naivete of not really knowing what you were getting into, but then figuring it out as you went. Do you think, like, in other words, like, yeah, I, would, would you have looked at that yeah. and been like, "Oh, this is not a smart, <laughs> smart decision"?
0: No, I would not have looked at that because I wasn't even smart enough to do this pro forma. Yeah. So um, I didn't even know what I didn't know. So yep. I was uh, really early on in my, you know, I did the back of the napkin thing like everyone does. I was like, hey, this thing can work. Um and you get 3 years into it you're like, why is this thing not working like I thought mm-hmm. it would. Mm-hmm. Um Actually, that's a lie on my part. I got like 8 years into this thing and I was like, "Huh, oh, why is this thing? <laughs> that it took that long?" Yeah. Cuz I wasn't even paying attention along the way. Yep. Um It would not have hindered my enthusiasm one bit because I was not doing this to try to I would have paid to do this thing. Like this yeah. is it was is something I I just loved. Um the opportunity to be in front of coaching people. The fact that I could um, get other people around me and help uh, create careers with other people and work with friends was such an added bonus. Um, And as long as I could pay my bills, both with the gym and at home, if I made no extra money, it was so worth it. Mm -hmm. Um, There's my headphones dropping out of my tiny little ears. (laughs) Once Um, an episode at least. Once, there we go. Um, so no, it would not have it would not have hindered that one at all. There was a second part to your question, which I can't remember.
1: Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if there was a second part. I think it was I think it was that question. I think it was it was if if you had if somebody had had actually sat you down at the beginning of it and said, "Here's what it's actually yeah. going to look like." If that would have changed your enthusiasm or your your decision no, to actually go forward with it?
0: No, not 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 at all. But I think that uh, I think what people should when they're doing this, they should go into the, this is uh, opening up a gym. You're not going to make money. Mm-hmm. Like I just, you're not. And I know what it looks like. It's like, <laughs> it's such high tuition, low rent. You get so much money from people paying memberships and you're in warehouse gym, which costs no money. I get it. I I, I really get it. The goal should be, can you, um, after you pay yourself a salary, can you break even? Mm-hmm. That's really what kind of the, the goal should be about there. Now what most people do is they just take pass throughs, meaning that they, They put themselves, um, the salary last, which is whatever money is left over after they pay the expenses, including salaries to other people that ends up becoming their salary. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a, um, it's not a wrong way to run a business. It's just a rather immature way to run a business because you're not actually accounting for your fair market value. Mm -hmm. And you can be like, yeah, we make money. We make money. Yet you're paying yourself $27,000 a year to work 65 hours a week and manage a staff of seven. Yep. That's not a, that's not a $27,000 a year job. Mm-hmm. So what you need to be able to do is go, okay, managing staff of seven, a gym with 250 members, I'm working 65 hours a week. That's a 50 to $70,000 a year job. Now let's put that into the the budget. And now all of a sudden you just realize you're losing 20 grand a year. Mm-hmm. Like, whoa. Okay. Um, if I wanted to sell this business. I couldn't because somebody that would came in would have to hire somebody to replace me and they would be losing money. My -hmm. business is not successful. The way I determine success is not how much money you make. It's just two really simple things. It's, is the business profitable? That has Mm -hmm. to be the thing. Mm -hmm. And we run our business really lean. We run it at, you know, CrossFit New England. We run at 10% profit margin after paying owner's salaries. Um, so that's just enough to, um, weather some, create a little nest egg and weather the storm <laughs> COVID. Yeah. Um, um, the tilt gyms, we run a little bit higher of a profit margin, um, because it's a little bit leaner of an organization that's closer to like, um, 20% profit. Mm, got it. Um, but what, so getting back to your gym needs to be able to run a profit. Um, and the second thing is, can you step away from your business and nothing really happens? Now, I'm not saying mm-hmm. that's everyone's goal. I don't want to step away from my business. But it's a theoretical exercise to am I owning a successful business? If the business hinges on you, you are not yet a mature business. And what I mean by that is most people get into this profession. Most people join uh, lifestyle entrepreneurial pursuits because they love what they do. Most people are not opening up a, um, a, a garbage collection service because they love what they do. They see it as a chance to make money in our mm-hmm. space, it's because they love what they do and they want to do that. What ends up happening as you go through this entrepreneurial journey is you no longer get to do what you love to do. Coach classes, coach people, work with your coaches, what you end up doing is all the administrative duties associated with running a business. Until you can bring that full circle back to doing what you choose to do, you are not yet at a, you fill in the blank, mature, successful business, whatever that is. So that's kind of the goals. Is it profitable? And could you um, completely step away from a year without the business um, doing anything?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and just, uh, just to make sure we put a button on it, the, the, the not obvious or counterintuitive thing would go back to that being very conservative about, or at least being very clear eyed about what the, the costs of this is going to be before you go into it.
0: Yeah, exactly. The not so obvious thing is all the hidden expenses.
1: Yeah. Got it. Cool. Okay. Um, I think there's a lot in there that I'm tempted to uh, keep talking to you about, but I don't want to, I don't want to derail this episode too much. Um, the next one we're going to talk about three not obvious or counterintuitive strategies to lead more effectively.
0: Okay, so um, possibly counterintuitive leadership. What we've been told is the um, like the the army general that gives the big passionate speech before the army charges off to war, and everyone's so engaged, enthused, and follow the leader in this yeah. big. Uh, um, engaging, inspiring presence.
1: The, the Braveheart methodology. Exactly.
0: Yes, yeah. exactly. They may take our lives, <laughs> but they will never take. Um, that's terrible. <laughs> um, but that's exactly right. Is um, I believe that one of the not so obvious or counterintuitive aspects, as you put it, to leadership is um, allowing everyone else to have the platform and allowing mm. everyone else to have their say. And I believe that leaders should talk less and talk last. So this comes from, um, you know, Nelson Mandela wrote a book called The Long Walk to Freedom, and he learned so much from his father who was a, uh, a chief um, in one of the, the South African tribes. And as he was a young boy, he would notice that his father, whenever they would take meeting, would seat everyone in a circle. And everyone in the circle would have their voice. Everyone in the circle would share their ideas. And his father, as a chief, would always speak last. The reason for that is if the chief speaks first, the chief wields all the, yields all the power. Everyone else is just going to try to most likely agree with them. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a great idea. And the, the surefire way not to do that is to go last and truly hear everyone's points of view. And then it's also really powerful. You get to formulate your own thoughts as the leader as you're hearing all these different points of views. And it might spark or open doors that you hadn't otherwise seen that would not otherwise have been sparked or opened. Mm-hmm. So I really believe that it's... um. Allow your words to carry a lot of weight. And the less you say, the more powerful it is. And as you're leading a group of people, what you're trying to do is empower other people and allowing them to voice their opinions first goes a long way.
1: Yep. Got it. What's another one?
0: Okay. Second one. Um, kind of goes along with that, but uh, it's kind of counterintuitive. Um, people look for, if they're leading a team, they they think that one of the the signs of, Teamwork is harmony. Mm -hmm. They think that a good leader gets everyone together and marching in the same direction. And if there was any deviation away from that, it looks like bad leadership. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's true. The job of the leader is to encourage passionate debate amongst the team so that the best solution can be presented and get people to, and I use those words poignantly, like passionate debate. When there is false harmony, that is mm-hmm. a sign of distrust among the group mm-hmm. because people aren't willing to be vulnerable in front of others. It's easier just to swallow it right now, agree with the group, then go out the door, have a backdoor meeting with your buddies and go, can you believe that she said that? As opposed to actually saying that in the meeting, someone goes, Jill, what the hell are you talking about? That Mm -hmm. is not in line with our vision. That is not what we're trying to do or how we're trying to serve our customers. When you have conversations like that in the room. That's when things, that's a sign of really strong leadership. And then from there, everyone gets a say, not everyone gets a vote. We're not looking for consensus. What happens is everyone gets to voice their opinion passionately. And, um, you know, I, I almost want to say, like, I, I'm, I'm on the verge of saying, like, violently. Like, I want mm. some people to fight. I want people to fight for what they believe in. That's how you get buy-in. When people have got it all off their chest, they've got it all on the table, and then the, the group still goes a different direction. Yep. That's when people go like, huh, maybe my idea wasn't as good as I thought it was. When people hold it in tight and the group goes in a direction that they're not in line with, that's when they continue to fight and they don't truly buy in. Mm-hmm. So this is, I think, leaders, you know, our job is to get people, teams, and organizations to places that they, they couldn't go um, without you. And the way we do that is by getting people um, to buy in and trust mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Passionate debate is a really strong sign of trust. Um, And then what you ask for is that people um, buy in regardless of whether you got your way or not. Mm -hmm. So to put it succinctly, I would say that number two is to encourage passionate debate.
1: How do you do that as the leader? Like, How do you set the tone? Because most people – We've kind of been taught through school that, like, you're supposed to kind of defer to the whoever's in charge, right? Defer to the teacher and then that that kind of get that mentality gets extended to the workplace defer to the manager defer to the boss back to the idea of that you ju- you know you were just talking about with the listening first and speaking last the the reason for that is because nobody want because it's really hard for a lot of people to stand up and say I disagree with you person who signs my paycheck or person who could fire me if they you know whatever so how do you make sure as the as the leader that you're building the culture that you're setting up the the stakes in such a way that there is enough room for people to recognize, oh, he's not kidding. <laughs> I, dis- I disagreed with Ben in the meeting today, and he gave me a high five at the end of it, and, and he listened to me. Like, how, do you, how do you actually set that up so everybody gets it?
0: Well, if you go back to the first one, I love the question, Patrick. If you go back to the first one, um, you're, it's a mute point. Because they're not debating you, they're debating each, debating each other. Mm-hmm. If you truly wait, so what you want to do is go, okay, yes. Should we um, raise prices at CFNE? Should we raise our membership prices? Um, who thinks that we should? And three people raise their hand. You go, okay, Jill, why do you think that we should raise prices? And she goes, um, we're worth more. We're in a really affluent area. We've been underpriced for a long, long time. Um, and if we did this, we'd be able to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Anybody, anybody... Um, want to counter that anybody think that that we we shouldn't um, and then um, mark raises his hand you go mark why not and he goes because uh, we're breaking a promise we promise people that dot dot um you know our people are working on a fixed mm. income and um, um last time we did this we lost uh six percent of our membership cool what else let's talk like very cool and you're just like you you try and create the debate. You try and mm-hmm. get it back and forth. You are sitting back, you're absorbing all the information. You're trying to formulate what's, all you're trying to do is find what's right. And the best way you can find right is by getting the most passionate points of views out there. And if you don't share, so if you go instead like, hey guys, I think we should raise rates. Have you start off like that? Mm-hmm. Hey, guys, I think we should raise rates who thinks we should raise rates and <laughs> right. the five hands raise up. It's like, yep. it takes it takes a really brave soul at that point to go like, um, Ben, I don't think we should. Yeah. And if that does happen, then you go like, yes, awesome. Little Johnny, why shouldn't we tell me? Yes, mm-hmm. this is great. This is what I'm looking for guys. Like push back, you should reward it. Mm-hmm. You reward the pushback, you reward and what we did when we were kind of leaning into this and we were starting this new culture is, I, I rewarded the process. I rewarded the passionate debate more so than the outcome. Mm-hmm. When it was happening, I would actually call it out in real time because it gets a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I would go, guys, I just want to pause and bring to light how awesome this is right now. This is so phenomenal that we are because people get like heated, like, and that's amazing. So they're. I was like, this is so phenomenal. This is such the right conversation in the right way to be having right now. Mm-hmm. I just want to highlight that as we move on. Nice job, Bill. Nice job, Jill. Like, we're crushing this. Okay, mm-hmm. go. So you highlight, like, any sort of, like, um, your reward, your, your, uh, what gets rewarded gets improved. Mm-hmm. And if you reward the decision at the end, people are going to try to look for it. So if you go, like, Okay, we went with raising rates. Like Jill was right. Like people are going to want to be right. If you go like, okay, guys, we're going to raise rates. Um, That's cool. Everyone, everyone's, I'm so glad that everyone got their chance to voice their opinions. Um, If anybody has anything else they want to add, let's get on the table now. No? Yes? Okay, Bill, what is it? Cool. Great. Glad that we were able to share that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to be sharing rates at dot, dot, dot. I just want to, again, Commend everyone for how passionately and vehemently they stood up for their points. That's what's going to make us a stronger team. Mm-hmm. Super proud of you guys. You reward you reward what you're looking for, not the uh, the the being right or not.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing I think about there is I think I think where I've seen leadership go wrong is when an individual believes that their job is to have the right answers. When in fact, their their job is to find the right answers. And what you're laying out is like, that's the process by which you find the right answers. It's, it's not up to you to have all the answers. And I think that that's sometimes the challenge is like that. Oh, I'm the leader. I started this thing. This is mine. Therefore... I either have all the right answers or if I don't have the answers, what are they, what's the, why, why am I here? Right. And it's yeah. kind of, maybe it's an ego switch. It's a, it's a paradigm shift a little bit. Um, what you're describing.
0: Now, I want to put like, a, maybe a little disclaimer asterisk is that, because there are points that that does have to happen. Totally. Right. Yep. Where there are points where you have to come in and you go, um, there are points where you have to go, um, Hey guys, we're shifting. um, um, the focus of our business, yep. because you've done it all and you understand it, but then involve them. Don't just yep. tell them, involve them. So this is where we're going. I have this idea about 50, 60% baked. I'd love to get your input as a team, as a senior leadership team, that's sitting at the table for a reason, because I trust and value your opinions. Let's help me formulate this thing together. And then the, the idea is that you make the final calls. That's the decision of the leader, not to come yeah. in and say, this is what we're doing, this is how we're doing to the point of, I mean, this goes to like people that like um, are commanders of of battleships. The best commanders of battleships don't go like, "This is how it's done." They go to every single person in on the crew, from the senior admirals to the the line cooks, and go, "What do you think? What's a better way we could be doing your job? What do you mm-hmm. think are the better ways that I could be doing my job?" And you get feedback. Like feedback is the shortcut. Now whether it's Critical criticism, whether it's really pointed and nice, but critical feedback is the shortcut to results. You know, in what we talk mm. about intensity is the independent variable most commonly associated with favorable adaptations. I Meaning intensity is the shortcut to results. Well, it's the same deal, but that intensity level is how, how willing, this is intensity in a business organization. How willing are you to be open to hearing feedback? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the deal. Like, how willing are you to? And then from there, I do believe fast decisions because we used to be a slow decision maker. You know, when I started working with our strategic coach—not strategic coach, sorry—a um an organizational coach, he was like, "It's there's nothing wrong with businesses that take a long time to make decisions, and people make short time to make decisions. Um, it's just different. Like, it's built into their DNA a little bit different. And we were a long decision company. Mm-hmm. Um, our strategic coach is has got us pushing to making faster decisions, and having seen both sides of the coin. I do think faster decisions because you can build measure learn faster basically you can fail faster Mm -hmm. google and uh amazon and facebook are just running tens of thousands of experiments every day failing 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 and figuring out basically what they're doing is making decisions so much faster than all the rest of us so they get to grow faster Mm -hmm. they sit there and spin on something for a long long time what you end up doing is you end up spinning – I could do – we could talk forever about decision-making process. Yep. But you end up making all – you end up like looking for more info, waiting for it perfect, and it's never going to be perfect. And when you actually go to launch, you go to market, you make the decision, you're, you're still going to realize it wasn't perfect and there's so many mistakes along the way. And you could just save yourself so much more time <laughs> by moving forward faster.
1: Yeah, totally. Okay, we've talked about listening first uh, and fostering passionate debate. What's number three for uh, not obvious or counterintuitive strategies to lead more effectively?
0: Okay, so um, leadership and management. So some people, they think of it synonymous, um, and I'm not gonna say it's, it's not. Um, I believe ma- uh, management is more the X's and the O's. So imagine like um, trying to figure out how to make an assembly line work faster where leadership is a little bit more of the um, people aspect to it. Like we are not cogs in an assembly line. We are human beings and trying to get the most out of human beings. It's more like coaching is more Mm -hmm. the leadership side. Mm -hmm. Okay. The reason I put, throw that out there at first is I'm going to use the word management in my kind of like answer here. Um, There's this, these two schools of thoughts, should we micromanage people or should we be hands-off management and give people total freedom and autonomy? Mm-hmm. And whether you follow the um, the kind of like um, Jack Welch aspect, like you got to like – you got to put your finger on them and watch them squirm. Yep. <laughs> or you're more of like the Daniel Pink and like the um, uh, intrinsic exactly. motivation comes yeah. through yep. all and of like the, um, the hands-off stuff. Exactly. Zappos yep. is great. And – this is the kind of the dichotomy that was presented to me or the conundrum that was presented to me when I was first becoming a manager and a leader. And I was like, well, of those two schools of thought, the way I would want to be managed is the hands-off approach,
1: yep.
0: is the laissez-faire, is the excellence will rise to the top, give you the freedom, let's see what you got. So I opted for that and in, in, in stepped away from micromanaging. The not-so-obvious thing is that it's not black and white. It's not those two schools at all. It's not micromanage, did you do that job right? No, let's go back and let's check it. And like, oh, no, you didn't screw that bolt in the right way. And it's certainly not, um, I'll check in at the end of the year and see what you made. It's the blend between the two. So think about, basically what it happens is you have to start with micromanaging, and that allows you to manage with autonomy and freedom. Mm -hmm. And think of like the Navy SEALs. So what the Navy SEALs do not do is go, you're the right type of person. You fit our culture. Here's an M-16. Here's a plane (laughs) ticket. Go kill bad guys. Mm -hmm. They don't do that. Here's also what they don't do. Um, Here's the mission. And then have a guy watching over your shoulder during the entire mission and go, no, 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 no. Six inches to the right. No, no, no. Okay. Step forward. No, no, okay. Okay. Now use your radio and micromanaging them along the way. hmm What they do do, I'm using a do-do again. Do do is for the first three years, we have two, um, we have two of our members it um that are becoming Navy SEALs right now. One is um, finishing up SQT. Um, the other one just um, went through um, Bud's Hell Week. So really proud of both those guys. Um, what they do in the Navy SEALs is incredible. Like incredible micromanagement. Like they give so now switch out the word micromanagement and put in the word training. Mm. What they do is they train you. They train you how to do your job so phenomenally well, and most people think it's um, um, buds and cumulates with Hell Week, and then you're a Navy SEAL. What people don't realize is that's the in- that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. That's just the you're the right person. Now that you're the right person, they put you through two to three years of micromanagement. This is exactly how you clean your gun. This is how you put how you put your belt buckle on. This is what happens in this scenario, and they. They, to the detail, go through it over and over in repetition and repetition. And that allows them, when they then go overseas to fight the bad guys, to go, do what you need to do, we trust you, something happens, improvise, you know how to do this. Mm. That's the deal, is you need to have the micromanagement with the autonomy. It is John Wooden with UCL basketball. John Wooden said, this is how you put on your socks. Literally the first day of practice, every single year, taught his players how to put his socks on. I mean talk about micromanagement for a basketball player. I'm going to watch you put your socks on and nope, nope, nope. You want to pull in this side over here and then – like how annoying is that? But then when he went to the games, by game two or three of the season, he didn't even get out of his seat. Mm. Never told the players what to do during a game because he trusted them so much because they had been so well-trained. So it is not the counterintuitive thing, or the unobvious thing, or whatever way we we're deeming this, is that it's not micromanaging is right or wrong. It's not managing with autonomy is right or wrong. It's that you need both of those things together.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and to hearken back a little bit to your answer previous was, what I'm hearing in, you know, call it micromanaging, call it training, but what you what that is in fact is just fast cycles of feedback. Right. <laughs> and so it's that finding that balance between the autonomy and the feedback, and maybe it's back and yeah. forth. Maybe it's heavy on the, uh, in the first year, maybe it's lighter, you know, whatever that looks like, but, but being in the middle of those, instead of kind of those, the, the, um, black and white thing that you kind of established to the start.
0: Yeah. And great organizations do this, you know, IBM back in the day in the eighties and nineties was kind of like the gold standard for sales training. Yep. Because what they didn't do is go, um, here's your interview. Wow, your resume looks great. You seem like you've had a lot of success in sales. We'd love to hire you. Can you start on Monday? Cool. Monday comes and they go, okay, go sell and like step back. What they did is then they took these salespeople and put them th- offsite. You leave you go through like six months of intensive sales training before you pick up a phone and do anything for them. But then once they got that super intensive micromanage hands-on, then they could take this step-back approach and then they can manage from afar.
1: Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Okay, that was uh, three not obvious or counterintuitive strategies to lead. Last one we're going to do today is three not obvious or counterintuitive ways to become growth-minded.
0: Okay, so uh, um, so let's do this through the, the CrossFit prism. Okay. Um, most of our most of our listeners are at least familiar, if they don't do it um, frequently. Um, so, here's like mindset for me is one the most important thing. If we're gonna try to create, <clears throat> excuse me, if we're gonna try and create betterments, if we're gonna try and make you a better athlete, if we're gonna try to get you to lose weight, if we're gonna try to get you to stop smoking cigarettes, if we're gonna try to get you to be a better dad, whatever it is, the most important thing is mindset. Mm-hmm. If you have a fixed mindset, essentially I can't work with you. It's, what that means is a fixed mindset is uncoachable. The fixed mindset is Morpheus from the matrix is offering you the red pill or the blue pill and you choose, I don't remember which, the one that keeps you in the dark and you're saying mm-hmm. like, nope, this, I don't want to know anymore. That's why this growth minded thing is so massively important. So becoming growth minded is really the first step in any sort of improvement process. In the CrossFit world, here's one of the things that I think most people do that keep them a little bit in the fixed mindset, which is leaderboarding. Mm. Which is tr- it's so counterintuitive. Like instead of measuring how much you're getting better, Focus on getting better. Now, I know that sounds weird. So a little bit of color to that. If you always have one eye on your results, you only have one eye left for the process. Hmm. Your results are completely outside your control. So your one eye, 50% of you, is focused outside of your control. That only leaves 50% to focus on what's inside your control, which is the process, which is the act of actually getting better. So what can actually end up happening is this desire for betterment can actually eat away at your ability to get better. Mm. If you're constantly focused on the leaderboard and not focused on immediately what's in front of you or what you can do better, you're, you're working within a, a, an imaginary ceiling that's capping your your potential. Instead... without this is not hyperbole, this is I do this with athletes, and I do this myself. Don't score your workout. Mm-hmm. Don't look at a clock. Don't look at a leaderboard. Instead, focus on how can I get better right now? And when you do that, you don't default to the terrible movement patterns that you have, but are more effective for you at this time because they're ingrained in you. What you do is you try to improve and get better. So I hear this from like, um, you know, like some really good programs. Like um, Gino Ariema of UConn Girls Basketball tracks how many shots his girls make during practice, how many shots they miss during practice. Mm. And if they miss too many shots in practice, he now has a defense for why he's not playing them. Mm. I think that's terrible. Mm. Like that's terrible. What you're doing is you're scoring people trying to practice and get better. And that necessitates awkwardness, clumsiness, fumbling around, and failure. So if I'm going to try to change from a if – I'm, if, I'm, if I'm working my jump shot and I'm going to try to change to a faster release or a higher release point, both mm-hmm. really good in basketball – I'm going to miss a lot of shots along the way as yeah. I try to change that movement pattern. Yep. AKA my leaderboard score is going to go way down. If I know that the leaderboard matters, I'm not going to try to become better. Mm-hmm. Everything becomes fa- pass fail. Yep. If everything comes past fail, that's the definition of a fixed mindset. Everything you're doing is going to either be, I am good or I am not. And that's the worst place we can be as an athlete or a, a productive member of society mm-hmm. we need to be able to look and lean into and lean into our inadequacies and try to make those better
1: yeah yep okay so that's if we had to sum that up that might be uh, leaderboarding is certainly a, a crossfit way to say it but is there a a non-crossfit way like what is that For, yeah don't know, focus on results don't focus don't on on focus on results yep
0: Yeah. Don't focus. It's it's strange that that sounds like growth minded. You want to be growth minded means we're growing. We're trying to become better. So the counterintuitive stuff is like, stop focusing on getting better and actually just work on getting better. Mm -hmm. It's taking one eye off of the results to put two eyes on the process. Yep. Got
1: it. All right. What's number two?
0: The other thing, just like put some more color to this is I just had a conversation with Cole. um, Cole Sager who's one of my athletes. Yep. Um, and I've, I brought this up to Cole because I saw it with Catron. I saw it with Cole this year. I saw both of them. I got away from this a little bit in the last year or so with my athletes. I started putting more definable um, metrics for people to chase. One of those things was a sub 19 minute 5K for Cole. Um, I asked him to come up with what is, what's one thing that's going to tell you you're ready for the games? And he said mm-hmm. a sub, five, nine, sub 19 minute 5K. I was like, that's terrific. What's so amazing is once that went out there as a point of focus, every single one of his runs got worse Hmm. because every single run, what used to be just this thing to go out and try to work on getting better became like a pass fail. Like, am I going to be able to get this thing or not? And as things got hard, it's like, wait a minute, I'm not even running that fast. Why is this hard? It's like, it builds up this. There's a psychology behind this idea of focusing on the process and not results. When you focus on results, I know that sounds so weird because we are a goal-driven society. Write down your goals, share your goals, make them observable, review your goals, make them smart goals. I'm not saying goals by themselves are completely misplaced. I still like cold to have the idea of what ready is going to look like. But once you get that idea, file it away and forget it. I don't need to know the goals. I'm your coach. I understand what it means to be ready for the games. I'll get you there. Now, what I need you to do is just live in this moment for everything it has. And mm-hmm. if you're focused on this arbitrary thing that you really have no control over, you can't give all of your focus to this moment. That's the 1% we're talking about. Now, those 1% are, re- are really important when you're talking about the 1% of the 1% in those elite athletes. But think of all the 1% that happen to you over your lifetime. If you have a 1% difference every single month, over 12 months, over 10 years, I mean, that is the difference of massive changes. You are a different human being living in a different part of the world with different abilities, different skill sets, different approaches to life. You are, it's, 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 um, the magnitudes of difference cannot be exaggerated.
1: Got it. All right. What's another not obvious or counterintuitive way to become growth minded?
0: Um, become disappointed with wins when you are successful, um, that's most people that's where they get this dopamine response. That's what like in built into our evolution in our DNA is this kind of like this hormone that says like you're getting one step closer to your goals, like this feels good, amazing, I'm successful. I get accolades, I get awards, like this is a really it's a feel good hormone. Um, that sets you up for the fixed mindset because what ends up happening is you chase that. Mm. what we need to do is chase. Struggle. What we need to do is chase being on the fringe. What we need to chase is, um, challenges. So what you want to be able to do counterintuitive, but what you need to be able to do is when you win, when you succeed at something, um, go almost tell yourself, like, God, that was, that was a little too easy. Dang. I should have made that a little bit harder
1: yeah so like the nineteen minute five k should have been eighteen minutes something like that right? like you didn't shoot you hit it yeah that's hit, what I mean it, yeah. yeah yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, so let's like um you're trying to become a better typist, right and you um you type and you get like uh a, a, a hundred percent um instead of going like yes I, and I'm not saying like I'm not saying I'm not saying like be a downer, never celebrate wins. that's not what I'm saying. I'm using the word disappointed as an extreme. Yep. What I'm saying is when you finish that, allow that quick little thing and go, hmm, I wonder if I can go faster. Mm-hmm. Not like, I've done it, I've arrived, I've achieved. Now, what else can I do to make me feel good and great? Mm. Because what can I do to make it feel good and great? You know what those things are? It's eating cookies, it's partying, it's sleeping in, it's um, surfing the web. It's all these things that do not lead to long-term success. Mm-hmm. Now- what are things that do lean to long-term success? It is things that don't feel good.
1: Mm. It's failure. So what you need to do
0: is get, is failure. What you yeah. need to do is get yourself get yourself to enjoy. Somebody said this other way, is get yourself to enjoy the struggle.
1: Yep. Yep. Love
0: that. What's number three? Uh, okay, so how do you th- – Ways to become growth minded. So this mindset thing. Your mind is your thoughts. This is. Stay with me on this one. Mhm. You.
1: You there? Yep. Yep. Can you see me? You okay, froze.
0: Yeah. You good? Okay. Yeah.
1: Yep. I can hear you. Yep.
0: Okay. I'll, yep. I'll back up. Okay. Okay. Um growth-minded, mindset. Your mind essentially is, we associate that with our thoughts. What's a powerful yet not so obvious realization is that you are not your thoughts. Mm. You are not your thoughts at all. There's essentially three things going on here. There is you, Patrick, the spiritual being. That is you. Then there is your thoughts, which we could call your ego and alter ego.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And then there is another thing, which is your body, which is the, the sticks and rubber bands that move you around the world. Yep. You are not the sticks and rubber bands, and you are not the ego or the alter ego. You are Patrick, the spiritual being that lives and operates outside of those two things. And when you understand this, you now have ways to control a growth mindset. You now Mm -hmm. take control over a lot of other things. This is why mindfulness practices come into vogue. This is why meditation has come to vogue. What meditation allows you to do is to separate yourself, the spiritual being from the thoughts, this constant chatter, which is not just a single, it's two. There's you. And then there's the higher you. There's the you that wants the cookies. There's the Mm -hmm. you that wants to stay in bed and snooze. There's the you that wants to scroll social media. Then there's the higher you that knows better, that knows that you should get up early, that knows that you should go to the gym, that knows that you should have the salad, that knows that you should go have that hard conversation. You are neither of those two things, nor are you your body. And when you realize that you are separate from that constant chatter, you then have the ability to not listen to that constant chatter. That is nothing more than a narrator narrating your life and presenting options to you. You do not need to listen to that voice. So it's almost like the counterintuitive aspect or the not so obvious part of this is the growth mindset is, can you remove yourself from the talk in your mind? Mm -hmm. When you do that, the possibilities open up.
1: Love that. All right, we're gonna wrap it up there. That was three not obvious or counterintuitive things to do before opening a gym, strategies to lead more effectively, and ways to become more growth-minded. Thank you, Ben. Thank you to everybody out there listening who leaves us ratings and reviews and sends us questions for future Two Minute Drill episodes. And we'll be back next week on another episode of Chasing Excellence.